This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music, and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. Back from a deep dive in Savannah, Joe and Matthew review their visit including the Jepson Center, SCAD, and various exhibitions. A moral quandary is presented. An audio pick is offered. Listener mail is unpacked. This is episode 18. Kate Young calling. They want to simulcast. <laughs> that was that was that was a blast. I enjoyed that. The Savannah Deep Dive. The Savannah Deep Dive. The first shout out goes to the world of beers. Five hundred beers, not on tap, but five hundred beers. I counted at least five hundred. It's a lot of beer. There's a lot to take in walking around there, and there are a lot of places that you want to stop and probably shouldn't. <laughs> you, keep, <laughs> you keep walking. And what's amazing about walking around that place is that you will walk a block, two blocks, turn, and then realize... Oh, yeah, you're going in circles. Yeah. All those squares. Yeah. The grid layout, it should be simpler for me, but oh. for whatever, plus uneven pavement, you had trouble with the that uneven, uneven pavement. pavement. And I was trying to get to a store. I don't know why the store's closed there at yeah. six o'clock. Yeah. It's like Mayberry. And uh, I was I was really booking to get to a store and I literally found myself, I went around the block at least three times Yeah, because I was uh, using the wrong directional aid <laughs> via the phone. <laughs> I mean, I felt like I was in a movie. I'm like, wait, how did how did I get back here again? <laughs> oh. oh, that was good though. I mean, we had we had art, a lot of a lot of good art, mm-hmm. good architecture. Mm-hmm. Scad Museum was very impressive. Mm-hmm. Made a vinyl stop. Yeah, good record store. Good yep. good eats, good beer, uh, good people. I'd say all in all, a, a whirlwind of a trip. Yeah, it felt like a week. Yeah. And Rachel was spot on. Great conversation with her. Awesome to get uh, the, uh, the the tour behind the scenes, see the office, and get to snoop snoop some shelves. I do like to always yep. like to see what's on some bookshelves. We did not get the opportunity to talk about SCAD with her because we hit SCAD the next yeah, morning. Right. I was really impressed. Yeah, I was too. With the facility, with the the work that was being shown, it was it was more to take in than I expected. I was thinking two of those artists I've seen. Uh, one we saw at the mattress factory. Yep. In Pittsburgh. Yep. Uh, is it Chiharu Shiota? And the mattress factory installation was just amazing. Of course, like, well, that was like what three. Three floors. I mean, like the the entire building, but it was still impressive um, to see in Savannah. And then um, Carlos Cruz Diaz, which um, I've seen in Miami and, and New York, but uh, it's an amazing show that also packed a lot of uh, education into it in terms of color theory. And it's interesting to see the parallels of his approach with uh, that of uh, Itten. Or uh, Albers, you know, yeah. And it's like if you want to dig into that, yeah. 
and there were some hands-on uh, displays that you could manipulate with, you know, additive color and that sort of thing. Um, and then if the, you know, if you just wanted to gaze at those pieces and, and blow your retina, retinas yeah. out, um, and that room, there was an instant, mm-hmm. that room was just amazing. But, uh, uh, that was almost overload. I remember I, you were pretty blown away uh, by the, yeah, it's too I, much. I say I didn't expect that because I didn't really understand what the scope of their museum was going to be. If it was going to be limited to SCAD, oh yeah, and students, alumni. What in the case of Jose Parla? Yeah, which I did not know that till I saw his work there. Which uh, yeah, that was a, a good. The sculptural pieces I liked the way they were placed in that. That that gallery is kind of a strange, you know, like football yeah. field length, but yeah. very narrow. But those columns really looked, I don't know what he refers to them as. But, um, but yeah, no, they show some, um, I was down there a couple of years ago to see a Carrie Moyer show, you know, so they're bringing in, you know, yeah. big, big names. Between SCAD and Telfair, I have a new respect for how curators work with the space. Yeah. So in the case of, of Telfair, you've got it's it's a it's a it's a great building with strange little nooks and yeah, yeah. the light is great, but then that's not always what you want for certain types of exhibitions. And in the case of SCAD, like you were saying, you have that one long room that's got to be difficult. Yeah, because I mean, what is it? Maybe fifteen feet wide. I mean, you can't, maybe I don't yeah. know that. I yeah, mean, it seems pretty narrow, but. Um... And in Savannah, you have you have this weird mix of architectures and making the old work sometimes right. with the new. And yeah. but those two stops, the Telfair Museums and then SCAD. Yeah, I mean it was that's a, a, lot. a jolt of you know yeah. obviously contemporary. To see Nick Cave, that mm-hmm. was a pretty uh, <clears throat> impressive uh, exhibition. And then an interesting uh, mix of new media art in there as well. New media, and uh, and also just to see some artists and see pieces. Like I saw a sculptural piece by Conrad Marcarelli, which I've never seen. Really, that kind of work. It just it reminded me like some of the trips, like Kansas City, like where you find these museums that just seem to have this laser like focus, and um, and it's just a different approach. No, you go into you go into certain places, you go into communities, and you expect one thing, and it's just a pleasant surprise when you see something, something different. In the case of Savannah, so many of their visitors are those one-time cruise ship visitors, and what better way to expose someone? I mean, I'm assuming a lot of those people are not necessarily seeking it out. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Rachel was bringing that up in terms of like when we were trying to find out like what's the culture like in terms of artist room spaces and that sort of thing. And I was kind of surprised. I mean, obviously there's a a huge network there, I'm sure, with relating to SCAD. It does make me wonder how do you um, how do you move from a community like that to somewhere else? How do you make that jump? Do you want to make that jump? Maybe you don't. Maybe you find that. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's always fascinating. You know, do, do you have this, the studio? We talked about that at length, you know. Do you have the studio out in the, you know, out in the country, so to speak, or the bunch of land, or do you need to be in the thick of it with, uh, you know, a lot of artists, you know, right next door? Um, 
I guess you know again it depends on what what you want out of it and um, you know there's a lot of people making work remotely that are showing internationally I mean mm-hmm. that's got to be a good feeling um, you know I guess it's it's your temperament you know I'm trying to think of some people that uh, that make work that have good careers but like it's hard to even get them for a cup of coffee like they are just yeah yeah you know kind of on on lockdown. Uh, and then there's, of course, there's those that are just like go to every, seem to be like go to every show and every event and, you know, very, so. Could you see yourself down there? No. I don't think I could. Yeah, it's, it's, there's it's a lot of distractions. It's a little, yeah, it's a different, <laughs> different kind of vibe. Um, it's a different vibe. I, I thought that, I was kind of playing with that, you know, last time in Miami, just kind of. Mm-hmm. Just thinking, like, wow, like, do you just buy a warehouse? And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the, the heat. But again, like you said, just distractions. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The beach vibe is just not. I don't know. It's not my not my thing. Yeah, that's yeah. But that's that's Savannah. And you recovered from your uh, lack of sleep. Oh, that's right. The Airbnb. So the Airbnb we were issued. There was a little no- noise warning in the in the literature, and the rooms came with a uh, a noise machine and some earplugs. Yeah. And I fortuitously put my noise machine on high the first night I did and not. slept like a dead person. And, <laughs> I uh, did not. And how late did they go? I thought. I mean, we came in pretty late, we were late. and then and then and the music a, kicked in that about, was a Monday night yeah and there wow I guess every night's a yeah except for the shops that close at 6 yeah it's a weird gap there right tourists, like, but yeah but you can stay out and drink till 4 <laughs> yeah I guess you're supposed to go shopping then go back get ready dinner go back take your disco nap go back out <laughs> Oh, that was a good time. I'd like to talk about the bees. Yeah. Do you really want to talk about the bees? This was this. <clears throat> Let's up, talk about it. This took up, I'd say, this is a moral quandary, ethical dilemma, riding back on the interstate, yeah. heading back to Atlanta. We pass a white van that had some kind of partition, looked like you know foam core or. Uh, anyway, but and a l- large number of bees, hundreds of bees that are just like clustered around the back windows. Yeah. And at first you're like, wow, those are bees. And, and all right, so hives and pull alongside. And that's when we saw there's a baby. Uh, and like a, a grandmother, a grandmother, and then you know uh, we assume a father asleep, riding shotgun, and a and a woman driving with headphones on, or earbuds in, yeah, and seemingly oblivious to the bees. <laughs> and we're thinking, and there's one bee like caught yeah. right on the yeah. side, like between the wind. And you're thinking, there's a baby, there's bees. What do you do? And we... It's just, it, it was the strangest thing because you and I were thinking the same thing. And you said, oh, that's a lot of bees. And immediately, what do we do? Do we do anything? 
well, first I thought I'd make a, make a sign because you're going to pull up, you know, you're doing like what, 70 something miles yeah. an hour. Like, you know, you're thinking you, you can't roll the window down and, and yell. And then, of course, right. I'm thinking of planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, and I'm like, oh, I should make a sign. I'm like, oh, yeah, with my handwriting. Like, You've got you, bees. Yeah. <laughs> got bees, question mark? Yeah, there's no way that you're so handwriting. Anyway, I, I would need, like, <laughs> spray paint and a tarp to be able to. And, uh, and then somebody started going through, all like, what do you do? And you can't, like, flag them down. And then I started thinking, like, do you call 911? But then do you get them pulled over? Like, what? But you're, you know, but so, so if you didn't, so... You and I are the only ones that experienced this, apparently. But when you first saw it, you didn't think hives. You thought somebody moving, and there's Maybe. been some sort of... Right. And that's what I thought. There's been some sort of infestation. Right. So you called. You had a lifeline. I uh, Yeah, I have a, a good friend who, uh, amongst other things, was a beekeeper. Probably just for the suit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he explained uh, that this is probably on the on the level and which way the hive has to face, and you know that, that it was probably okay. But uh, this was after circling the van. We circled the yeah, van. Yeah, I mean, several this times. is a good, this is a good twenty never, minutes. They never made eye contact with us at all. And you wonder, they're probably like, man, that's... Yeah, they were getting ready to call 911 to report. So this is what's amazing. So we had to, uh, eventually, that was a good call, though, too. Like, he finally uh, pulled off uh, to fill up with some petrol. And uh, you went in to get a drink, and I'm standing outside... And I hear an ambulance coming whizzing by and getting on the yeah. on the uh, onto the interstate. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, oh man, here we go. We're going to see like some grisly scene, you know, a yeah. couple miles up the road. Like, why didn't you do something? <laughs> what would happen if you rear-ended? Oh, that, was, that would really anger the bees. Yeah. <laughs> but the bees can only. So he was saying that the bees will. As Apparently, long you as... do not approach the hive ever from the front. The, uh, uh, beekeeper will come from the side or the back because otherwise they will swarm you and they are all about protecting the queen so i you know i learned some things um but what's funny is when you were you were you were recounting this the scene to your friend and you you estimated the total number of bees to be about 20 or 30 i think you said i wasn't thinking yeah (laughs) And I just, by that point we were in front of it. Yeah, and I'm thinking there are a lot more than that. And I circle around and you yeah, realize, yeah, hundreds, hundreds um, in those. Oh, I just don't see how you can. I don't know. Like when you open the door, let's say they pull up to the hotel, motel, <laughs> and you, you open the back. Do they all just go back? I mean, I don't know into the I, hives or do they? I, I only can base this like from you know television or a movie but like don't they do they spray something I don't but know but again how do I, you that whole system was there is a there is a breakdown somewhere along the line that didn't make they any shouldn't sense be to loose in the back I don't think so but uh I mean they had to know what they're doing if you're or they're just the craziest people in the world to have yeah. an, an infant yeah uh in a uh what do you call that Car seat? Car seat, there you go. See, I'm, I'm handy with children. Uh, you know, and yeah. that was like a Chips episode in the making. I could just see that, you know? Like 70s cop show kind of... Uh, oh, 
you had to see that to believe it, man. So, Chioda, you said you liked... So we, we did see it at the, see an installation at the Mattress Factory. It's, it's, and, it wor- and it worked there. Well, it was first time I had ever seen that artist. And it was also, yeah. and they have many structures there. So this was the entire, like three floors yeah. of a kind of old, you know, obviously old, old building. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, furniture and effects in the house that yeah. that was covered over with that you know rope like netting yeah and uh all in black if i yeah remember. that's right and this one in savannah was all red but very you could actually walk through it i guess it just was maybe it's it, a limitation it was, of the it, space it just i feel i think i think we were both spoiled on the mattress yeah, factory I mean, that installation was, because it 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 gave the work an additional level that an almost institutional kind of big right. box room, right? You you don't With have doors that, that you yeah. can walk into other galleries. Through. Yeah, that kind of was a yeah. little odd. and exit signs, but um, bright red exit signs. I think taking that down would be worse than putting. I man, and all those holes. Yeah, uh, a whole lot of staples. So following up on the last audio pick of the day. It's your turn. Yeah, and I decided to trot out uh, Zombies, Odyssey, and Oracle. To follow up on the Baroque pop theme. Yeah. You know, I've heard of the record. It has a huge cult following. Um, You know, most people will know that the surprise hit off of that record was Time of the Season. So, uh, it's just, it was interesting, though. I mean, it's very, uh, you know, it's been called psychedelic pop or chamber pop, Baroque pop. I mean... You know, it's it's it was recorded in um, '67. I think it was released in 1968. So you know, you definitely can hear Sgt. Pepper, mm-hmm. and you know, and it was recorded at Abbey Road and mm, Olympic. Yes. So like, you got the Beatles Stones thing. Um, but you know, it's surprising. It's it's a big record. You know, yeah. the production, but amazing, uh, amazing chord structures, and um, I mean, but you got Rod Argent. Um, and Colin Blundstone, great name, great voice. Uh, and Chris White, who I didn't realize went on to form Argent with Rod Argent. I didn't know that. Um, so I think they, uh, Argent and White wrote all the songs. But uh, it was just fascinating, though. Like, before that record was even really released, they broke up. They were, there yeah. was a lot of tensions yeah. within the band. Um, so we talked about this a little bit. So in the last audio pick... I went with a Baroque pop yeah, pick, right. which kind of kicked this whole thing off. And we've talked a little bit about this record offline. Right. And you have since bought a copy. I bought a copy, and I've struggled to understand why it, why the record as a whole wasn't a bit bigger success. Wasn't I'm sorry, wasn't a success at the time. Because, and I thought for a while that it was the release. We've talked about a yeah. staggered release. So... I went back to look at that to see if my theory holds any water whatsoever, and I don't know that it does. But if you look at the release dates, you were exactly right about 67 being recorded at. Yeah. So you've got that kind of Sgt. Pepper thing in the air. But, oh, I mean, White Album was 67, right? 
yeah, so, so released I mean, like, and so I so I, I in my brain I'm thinking in my life was Rubber Soul, 1965. Yeah, Pet Sounds was 1966. The Left Bank's Walk Away Renee was 1967. They record about 67. Right. Break up. And then Odyssey and Oracle comes out in 1968. And the thing that was interesting is that it really, it almost wasn't released here. It, yeah. It wound up going to a smaller a subsidiary of CBS or whatever I think it was um, because of Al Cooper. Yeah. Who obviously is a legend in and of himself, but uh, he brought like, the legend is he brought like 40 or, 40 or 100, I forget what it was, albums back from, from England and he listened to it and thought this record really was undervalued and there had at least three hits and uh, it came out. But it really wasn't, uh, it wasn't well received. I think critically uh, people moved on. And then I've, I've heard that Time of the Season was kind of a, a fluke hit because it was like a year later. And I, I always heard that it was like some DJ just kind of started playing it. One of those kind of, maybe that's... Uh, I, so I read that the single hit in the U.S. in 69. Yeah, it was So much, they were long since. They were broken later, up. Right, and Argent and, was already... Uh, um, but yeah, I think it's like 100 on the Rolling Stone, um, you know, 500 greatest records. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's a it's a really upbeat, you know, oh, happy good, yeah. record. And I th- you said it very well that, you know, it was either... It wasn't of its time. It was either it missed it, you know, and in hindsight now it, it's great and it's kind of... So how does that work? I don't we know. see it all. We see it in, oh right, not hindsight, just in music. We see it, why, what. But you think about how quickly just just going by the Beatles and the Stones, you look at how quickly those guys were just devouring new territory. Yeah, and that's a new true. Record. I mean, yeah. you go from. I mean, within two. Think about it now. No, bands don't have that kind of. Uh, most of them that kind of uh, hunger or uh, or reach. I mean, to go from Rubber Soul to the White Album. In like two and a half, three yeah. years, stylistically, yeah. Wow, that's amazing growth. Yeah. You do not so, see that now. Um, <laughs> so you you deem me a little bit on the um, on the Bon Iver. Or is it growing well, on you, or is there's, it? There's some parts of it that I like, and I mean, I can still hear the uh, first record for Emma. Yeah. You know, in like his sense of melody and all that. I I do think it's some of the production just. I'm just not cool. You're not into it. But, you know, I, I listened to it in total. And I've listened to it a couple times like that. Like, I don't know if it's one I'll just yeah. dip in to hear a song. But I mean, I, I think it's no, a I strong... No, I could... I, I, yeah. It's I, a strong record, but it's just... A, yeah, it's a little bit out of my... Uh, I think the Kid A... Mentioning Kid A, I think I got a text about that later. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, there's a couple... It also depends where you're listening to it. I've recently been purposely trying to put on um, things that are either new, new to me, or a little outside my comfort zone, like in the studio, to further kind of a sense of of being lost, mm-hmm. um, and and kind of as I'm trying to work my way out of kind of the wilderness of like, okay, what's this the the, the work that I'm kind of working on right now? You so you're reading a book? Or did you finish? Oh yeah. You finished it. Feel guided to getting lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You highly, do you highly recommend it. Do you recommend it? Do you? 
I really enjoyed it, and I, I think it's one you could also dip in and out of. Um, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, thematically. Uh, it's quick. She's a, I think she's a brilliant writer. I mean, it's very, very poetic. It's, you know, that's why I was thinking, like, and it's, you know, it's here on the shelves in the studio. Uh, to me, there, there were a couple really good passages that I feel like I would go back to. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it just it kind of hit me at a good time where I've, I've, it's something that I've been trying to articulate in, in my own writing about uh, what's going on in here and where I'm going. But, um, you know, and, and there is a, an irony. I was, you know, when you're sitting on a, you know, in a comfortable chair with a with an espresso reading this book about being lost, it's, you know, you can, you can sink into that. But like, you know, when's the last time you've actually been lost, like driving? It's kind of hard now with a you know, with mm-hmm. a phone, but, uh, you know, but I'm thinking like sometimes that's, that's kind of a panicky kind of feeling. It is. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm doing a lot of, uh, outdoor, like home improvement, uh, projects. One was like building, uh, rebuilding a, uh, a brick wall along, uh, along the driveway. So that's way outside of my, uh, and Did I, you really? I, I'm still in the middle of it cause I kind of got rained yeah. out, but, um, you know, there's a lot of factors there, and um, but it's something I've, been, I've wanted to do for a while. But I really was thinking about like those same parallels because I'm like in the back of my head, I keep thinking like, I hope I'm doing this right, you know, for for whatever like with drainage, and right? Is this yeah. that level, and you know, is it gonna? Yeah. Um, I mean, thank God I'm not building a house or something, but uh, but you know, it's it's true. Like just to kind of stretch, like these are unpleasant feelings you know for me anyway like i don't like who wants to really be out enjoys being outside of their comfort zone and our culture like, does not reward that well it's anxiety inducing yeah. i was just thinking like right now i feel like most areas in my life i feel like i'm way outside and uh and i'm like okay so the trick is how do you channel that back into the work and try to feed off of that yeah and um and you know sometimes i think i can um manage that but it's it's really tough so yeah i think the book is uh you know, uh, definitely one that I will go back to. You know, I like to reread because I, I know there's stuff that I read probably too quickly. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're like, oh yeah, that's great. But it's like, no, it's definitely there's some. Yeah. Uh, All right. I've got mean? listener mail. Oh really? Yeah. You ready? We need like a sound effect for this. From. A listener in the Atlanta area. <laughs> Please add modalities to the band words. <laughs> I like that. I will write that one down right now. And I said, wow, great suggestion. And got one more. Are you ready? I am. Fusing dichotomies. Yeah, that's, uh, somebody was lifting that from a statement, it sounds like. Those are excellent. Modalities. Fusing dichotomies. I I think that gets two. Oh, wait, wrong. Oh, no, that's just a ding. So. Have you written a statement recently? Yeah. You have. I've edited a statement, yeah. It's because a living, it's a living, oh, breathing yeah. it's, thing. Oh, yeah, it's a constant. <laughs> it's constant, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I don't think I'll ever be happy uh, or proud, trying to, 
but uh, but it's impossible as much as we make fun of. Uh, yeah. I think it's more of the spirit in which these terms are used. Uh, and I think you can selectively. And Sometimes you can dip your toe in it. Yeah. Can, but when it's drenched in. Yeah. And it seems like, like spiked with just a few names. That's when you're like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Well, I think that we have, our guests so far, have scored brilliantly. No abuse of these terms. <laughs> really, no right. abuse right. at all. I don't know if that's just in the conversation selection or in the, in if the that's... the curated experience? Any, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but it's worked out pretty well so far. I'm excited for some of the... Got some exciting stuff coming up. Coming episodes. Yeah. Building for the future. Connect with Joe and Matthew and find out more about this and other episodes at brainfuzzpodcast.com. On social media, share your thoughts and comments with hashtag brainfuzzpodcast. Now, get out there and fuse those dichotomies. <laughs>